Welcome to Oh, I Like That, a podcast about things we like and occasionally things we don't. I'm Rachel Wilkerson Miller. And I'm Sally Tamarkin. And we are Shorty and the Boss. <laughs> wow, that's an <laughs> impressive recall from the last time we recorded, which feels like a while ago at this point. It was point. A, a while ago. Uh, the yeah. thing is, we're not going to reveal which one of us is Shorty and which one of us is the boss. That is a great I think that's a great tactic, especially because no one knows how tall either of us are in real life. I think that will really make it difficult. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll build up to like a huge reveal and it'll be (laughs) just a massive event, pay-per-view event. But for now, you're just going to have to – you're just going to have to keep wondering. Yep. Okay. So vibe check-wise, the vibe is pretty bad, geopolitically speaking. Socioculturally speaking, um, I feel like there's been we've opened the episode so many times in this exact way in the like year and change that we've been recording, which is a real bummer. I know. I keep thinking like, all right, well, you know, this is these many things have happened. Certainly, next time we record, it'll just be kind of a it'll geo geopolitical chaos will take a day off, but yeah. That doesn't seem to happen. No, quite the opposite. So I think we're both in agreement that we are not the best people to weigh in on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There's also the absolutely horrific anti-trans news coming out of Texas where Governor Greg Abbott has assigned uh, has assigned where Governor Greg Abbott has essentially encouraged Child Protective Services to go after anyone who provides gender affirming health care to trans children. So it's like a, you know, teachers would be forced to disclose that a student uses different pronouns or, you know, like a a parent who takes their kid to see a a trans affirming doctor, that parent could have, you know, be investigated and have their children taken away. It's like absolutely just depraved, disgusting. But we're going to link to resources and further reading in the show notes for people who want to learn more, want to you know want to help, want to donate. We can share what what we've been looking to and where we've been putting our money. Totally, yeah, good good call. Uh, we will definitely do that. What else is going on with you, Rachel? So I actually sort of just slid into the seat just in time to record this because I spent the day birding in Prospect Park. And before that, yes, just ending yesterday, I got back because I took my vacation to the Catskills, which, as I mentioned last time we recorded, I think, involved a hot tub. Not only did it involve a hot tub, but I was the recipient of more than a single text declaring your loyalty to the idea of hot tubbing, to one day owning a hot tub, to mm-hmm. maybe – there were links maybe to some inflatable <laughs> Amazon hot tubs. Mm-hmm. A hot tub for one that one could you know erect on their outdoor space <laughs> in Brooklyn perhaps if they wanted to terrorize their neighbors, right? I don't know where all that water goes when you're done. But uh, yeah, I was sitting in the hot tub definitely Googling hot tubs. I wanted to know what – like what are – I don't know much about hot, hot tub technology, especially not in 2022. So I just wanted to know, like, what are the, what can we aspire to? What is reasonable, you know, for what can, as I said to you, my whole life is now organized around owning a hot tub for myself. And so I was doing a little research and man, I'm envious of people with yards and the kind of outdoor space where they can just put up a hot tub because I gotta say, it was so incredible. I was soaking twice a day 
once even three times in a single day. Wow. It was so nice. The backyard was all snowy. We got even more snow while we were there. So it was just like the most beautiful, dreamy scene you could hope for with a hot tub. And we also brought our binoculars outside with us after hearing some chirping and tweeting up in the trees and did a little bird watching from the hot tub, which I got to say, like that is an incredible way to to get your dose of nature is to do it while sitting in a hot tub oh, and just God. keeping an eye out for birds. It was so, so dreamy. I can't I, – I, like, I, I truly can't complain about anything right now. It was, great. it was great. Yeah. I mean, being – I will like die on the hill of hot tubs in winter, especially when it's snowing, is the just – it's just the best. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you like enjoyed nature and like birding from the hot tub – if nature – if like getting out into nature was pitched to me as you do it from a hot tub, I would be a very outdoorsy person. But that's never what it is. It's it's always all about like traipsing through places and getting sweaty and hot. Right. I feel like even glamping is missing an opportunity here. Like if you could – if you just had a stretch of like, I don't know, land – with a, like a bunch of little hot tubs set up and like binoculars affixed to them, like you might see it like appear to see things out on the water. I think you could make a ton of money. I, I think it would be a huge hit, especially as people are looking for outdoor activities. I don't know if, if those axe throwing bars are so popular. I think that like nature, but from a hot tub has major potential. It does. It totally does. I feel like that's a business plan. What you just said is like something we could like submit to a, a venture capitalist. Do you remember how the first pandemic summer the first pandemic pandemic summer there was this thing of people making uh like pools yeah like out of those like tubs yeah like the galvanized metal tubs totally mm-hmm. i think maybe you could uh, what we need is a lifestyle journalist with mm. a can-do spirit, <laughs> a lot of experience doing like crafting and DIY things, mm-hmm, and a lot mm-hmm. of good contacts mm-hmm. in the space that come <laughs> up with uh, DIY hot tubbing. It's going to just be like uh, – imagine like a cartoon character, uh, you know, like like Sylvester the cat, like putting a giant kettle drum over a fire because <laughs> he a thinks fire. he's going to like get Tweety Bird. Like that's how I would be doing it. I would just be like <laughs> boiling water. <laughs> Like a large amount of water. I don't have any skills beyond that. But I do think that I think that if I play my cards right, maybe one day I can, if not have a hot tub, I can have one of those inflatable for one. I can have that at least. I, I don't know. This this is again, I'm this is my new life goal. This is all I want. No, I think that that's great. I, I picture do you remember how in Looney Tunes there would be the characters, they would be wearing a barrel with suspenders. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but I just I just pictured you in like a barrel with suspenders being like, welcome to my, my hot tub <laughs> lamp ground. <laughs> I actually, did you watch Nine Perfect Strangers? No, I didn't. Okay, don't watch it. It's not good. But they go to this really high-end like retreat with all mm. of these like l- luxuries. And I swear to God, if you were like, get in a a tub made of Mar- naturally occurring marble mm-hmm. over an open flame. And mm-hmm. like that's the hot tub. I guess yeah. marble, probably not marble. Uh, but the point is like a, a bath that is heated by a natural flame. I mm. feel like you could definitely get people to pay a ton for and then get, sell them smoothies with like nutraceuticals in them or whatever. That's genius. Also, this reminds me, I read this incredible well, I reread this incredible New York Times Magazine article that I read when it came out like in 2016 about 
Iceland and their public baths. And just reading this article is like so soothing and relaxing because it's all about how it's all about soaking and it's, I think it's called Iceland's water cure. And it's all about how they have all of these public, essentially like big outdoor hot tubs in sort of every community and everyone goes to them. And it's like sort of seen as an equalizer because you'll be there with the mayor. And before you go in, you have to get naked, scrub down head to toe. And so like they're very comfortable with nudity and bodies as a result of this. But also like when you're getting naked in the locker room with the mayor, it again sort of puts you on this equal footing and then you like sit in the tub and they're very social and um, but they don't have to be. You can also like signal that you want private time. But it was such a soothing article and I read it because I was thinking about it after being in the tub and I was reading it afterward and was all relaxed and just reading it put me – just felt so soothed. And I – between reading that and then my week of soaking, I'm just like, this is a human right. Everyone should be able to just soak in a hot tub as as they see fit. Like, we have pools. Why don't we have hot tubs? A hot tub in every driveway. That's what that's my my platform. I'm running <laughs> I'm running on this and this this single issue. This is your single issue voter. <laughs> yeah. Or, or a single issue candidate. Um yep. it's this is such an amazing turn because you are so like anti water submersion. I am and I remain anti water submersion <laughs> and I I think that there is a, a a noticeable difference between a bath and a hot tub and like they're just they aren't the same. They're no, not you're right. comparable. I just agree. In the same way, there's a difference between like a pool and a shower. Like they're just not the same thing. And I think I was thinking hot tubs were more like baths, which I still will not fuck with. Yeah. But I think a hot tub is like I don't know if if you haven't checked out hot tubs in a while and the opportunity presents itself, don't cut yourself off because I I feel like I. I, I learned something new about myself last year, and I'm so glad I did. Yeah, yeah, I've, they're great, and they're they've relaxed the shit out of you. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Like they, they like relax you against your will. Like exactly. you have to. You know, you have to do well, I was saying, if we had a hot tub, imagine at five or six p.m. every day coming out here and doing our like end of day grousing in the hot tub. It would it would last for five minutes, and then it would be like, oh well, who cares? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't be mad about anything right now. I think yeah. that would be so nice. So again, I, this is my life goal. Yeah, no, actually, I think that this is like as as good an idea as universal health care as universal hot tubs. I think it should be part of it. I it's think part that, of it. Like, yeah, that's this, what is, it is. this is phase B of universal <laughs> health care. Like, once we get the basics taken care of, this is what we push for. <laughs> Next up, hot tubs. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot about me. What's new with you? <laughs> well, I'm extremely excited that it is March. We're recording this in the first week of March. And um, the reason I'm excited is because – so I had a tarot reading. I don't – I think I maybe I mentioned this to you. I, I had a tarot reading. A friend offered to do it. And what she did was she pulled a card for every month of the year. Ooh. And yeah, it was really cool. The card she pulled for January – I'm sorry, for February is this card called the Tower, mm-hmm. which I soon learned was kind of like the card everyone lives in fear of getting because oh, – nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because like for – so just reading from the tarotguide.com, the, the Tower is the one you really need to brace yourself for. The Tower tarot card represents chaos and destruction. It is the major arcana card of sudden upheaval and unexpected change. This is this change is usually scary, life changing, and often unavoidable. <laughs> and it goes on. And different like different tarot guides describe the tarot differently. Mm-hmm. There are some awesome ones that are like it's the kind of change that you know you may not undertake but it happens to you and it changes everything in the most beautiful needed way but mm-hmm. some are like the thing i just read which is like <laughs> right. brace yourself for the a bomb to explode in your life mm-hmm. so so how did it, you interpret it Sally? <laughs> <laughs> the reason that's a funny question is because 
as anyone who knows me would know, I definitely interpreted it as I just like every day of February, I was waiting for the worst possible news of my life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm not someone who is like, the person who was doing my reading also wasn't like, listen, like tarot cards don't like predict the future. Like they're, they're like a thing that like wealthy people in the middle ages used for like enter parlor entertainment. Mm -hmm. That's like a, (laughs) <laughs> severe paraphrasing of what she said. <laughs> actually, only some of those words are accurate. But the point was, was just that like they were never meant to like tell your future, right. quote unquote. Nevertheless, there was a part of me that was like, oh God, like these this cards are it. telling me yeah. my future. This is it. So, and I, and I do want to say February did bring like a lot of not insignificant things. Like, mm. you know, somewhere between somewhere between like totally negligible and like totally turning my life upside down. Mm -hmm. So like moderate plus. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really relieved that it's March. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know what my card for March was because (laughs) I've been so focused on the tower. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I should go back and look at my notes uh, and I'll report back. But, you know, the the reading was really cool and it it just like provides an interesting framework to think about things. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Tip for tarot readers out there, if you are doing a reading for someone who's a catastrophic thinker, you might want to have the like an alternate reading, an an alternate (laughs) like guide prepared for what each card means. Because Mm. if you tell someone like me that a card represents like upheaval, destruction, and chaos, um, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to be like, you know, rocking back and forth in the fetal position for like a while. Anyway, so (laughs) (laughs) so my vibe is just like, Every day so far this month, I've woken up feeling happy that my tower month is over. That's great. That's really great. I also I think that your tip for tarot readers is good. It kind of reminds me of when you go to like a workout class or yoga class, and there's like, does anyone have any injuries? Is anyone pregnant? You should. I need to know because I can like offer you modifications. And I feel like they should similarly ask like, is there? I need. Do you need any modifications, mental health wise? That's so true. Does anyone have any emotional injuries that I should take into consideration (laughs) before I do this reading? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really really good call. Let's uh, move on to our main topic, which I think we're both pretty excited about. Yeah. So today we are talking about games, which actually we – I think we first talked about this you know, five, six episodes ago when we were talking about Wingspan. We said we should do a whole episode on games. We're going to do one better than that, and we're going to do two whole episodes on games. So today we're going to talk about sort of like – I wouldn't say our grand unified theory on games, but we're kind of zooming out and talking about like how to think about games, how to get into them, how to enjoy them, how to teach them, how to learn them, how to teach somebody else, how to teach the game hater in your life to love (laughs) games as much as you do, maybe. So we're going to talk about that today. And then our next episode is going to have all of our specific game recommendations, which we have so much to say about games that we had to spread it out. Exactly. And if you have something in your head like that you that comes up when you hear us say games you might know exactly what we mean but we also might be talking about games that you don't expect us or the kinds of games you don't expect us to be talking about so yeah we're going to try to cover like a ton of territory here great well to kick things off we're going to talk a little bit about a timely game that has been on a lot of people's minds which is wordle and if you haven't been playing it it is a very 
sort of straightforward word game that the creator made for his girlfriend last year. There, we can link to this article about it that was the kind of that like put it on the map about uh, from the New York Times about how it went viral, and then the New York Times purchased Wordle recently. And the uh, basically, it's kind of like the game show lingo. You are you put in letters and you're trying to guess a five letter word. And if you guess the letter right, the square turns green. If it's wrong, it's gray. And if it's in the word somewhere, but in the wrong place, it turns yellow. And then you can share the game. When you finish, you can share your results via emojis that represent like which colors, kind of how you got there on, you know, on social media, which is again, how it went viral because people were sharing their results. So Sally, how's Wordle going for you? Are you still playing? You still into it? What's going on? Wordle is still fun. I'm into it. There are definitely times when I'm playing where my brain draws a complete blank and I'm convinced that there's an error in Wordle because I I look at what I have so far and I'm like, there's no five-letter word in the English language that has the letters that are left possibly. And then there are some the, – the the thing that is so frustrating is like, for example, recently the answer was nasty and I, tr- I tried – I had A-S-T-Y and I tried hasty, pasty, and tasty. Oof. But – who cares? Because yeah. it's all part of the game. Like it's fun to get something in two, you know, uh, oftentimes that's like pure luck, but also mm-hmm. like kind of who cares. I like to think of it more as like an interesting thing to look at the the little squares after to see how you got there and see how other people got there mm-hmm. versus caring too much, like how many guesses it takes you, you yeah. know, to get it. How about you? What are you enjoying Wordle still? I love it because I am a big like sort of doing my little games in the morning. I like to do the crossword. I would do New York Times spelling bee, which I got to say I, has lost some of its appeal to me now that I have Wordle in my life. I think Wordle wow. is a superior game. So yeah, I love little little puzzles and games like this. So um, I'm definitely still playing. The, the thing that's funny about like when you're really struggling is sometimes I'll be like, oh my God, that was so hard. Then I'm like, I got it in four. Like yeah. it was, <laughs> you know, like I was stumped, but this is a perfectly respectable showing. And even five, it's like, okay, this wasn't, five is when it starts to get like, oh, now am I going to be okay? But on the whole, I feel like it's usually actually not that. The, the stakes are very low, even though it feels so intense while mm-hmm. you're doing it. Then it immediately, it's like, oh, well, and you like forget about it for the rest and of the day. And you totally but, forget. I know. It's so true. Yeah. But I I I really enjoy it. And I will say, I um I found this like knockoff Wordle game of, like maybe a month or two ago um, that Terry actually told me about. And I can share the link to it. It's like Wordle without the E. <laughs> it's, it's just absolutely a knockoff of Wordle. And I play that sometimes if I want more Wordle, but it also is like it has made me much better at playing regular Wordle because you can test out a bunch of starter words and see what works and what does. Like you just get better at it over time as Mm -hmm. with anything. So I've really enjoyed that. Which speaking of, what are your go-to starter words these days? I start with a word that I thought it wouldn't let me put in and I – and when it did, I was like, oh, that's a word. Who knew? It's M-A-I-L-E. And it mm. turned out to be a Pacific Island vein. Mm. Vi- sorry, vine. Jesus, why did I say vein? <laughs> it turned out to be a Pacific Island vine. I put it in one day when I was like halfway through the game. And I was like, I really want to try these letters. And yeah, I put yeah. it in and it like let me. Now that I think about it, I could have just done email. But maybe mm. it wouldn't accept that. Anyway, I use that. I also sometimes use the word Aegis, A-E-G-I-S, because mm. I try to get those uh, vowels out of the way. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I have two these days. I, for a while, was going with 
roast, but I've kind of a, I've retired roast and I really like pricey, P-R-I-C-Y, Ooh. because I love to get a Y in there early and I love to get a P in there early. I feel like those are underrated, but I've also recently been trying Teary, T-E-A-R-Y. So I still get my Y, but then I get like, you know, a really solid rest of the word. So, you know, hit or miss. There's days when I'll do one and I'm like, oh, if I had done the other, I would have had this much faster. But I feel like those are, are really good ones. And I really like to do like C H and D if possible in the next in the next round. I like that. Occasionally I'll I'll wake up and I, I like a word will come to me like the other day I was like shock. I'm gonna just do shock, you know, like for, yeah, for what reason? Gotta, I don't know. But I'm gonna yeah, do it. You know? You gotta mix it up. Some days I'm just like, what if today is the day where there's a Q or there is a K? Like you just True. You never know. You got to let the spirit move you a little bit. You do. You do. Um, have, now, have you played any of the like Wordle variation games? I, tr- I I like did some of the like, sort of novelty ones that were like fun and silly. And then I tried to do Quartal. Is that the one with the four? Oh, and I don't it, know. I, I like I tried it once and I was like I this makes no sense to me. I I believe I could have figured it out, but I just didn't have the patience that day. You're solving four wordles at once. Oh, I did that once. Yeah, that I couldn't. Yeah, that wasn't for me. That was like too much. <laughs> but like a lot of my coworkers are playing it and really like it. So, I don't know. That that is that one is pure chaos. I yeah. my my brain can't even handle the like prompt let alone that's a, like that's how I, I like couldn't understand the basic ask yeah. so I just gave up so more power to anyone who can do all four but I I tap out after my daily one and then I just if I want more wordle instead of doing four at once I go to to wordle with no e and, and get my fix off brand wordle, wordle. <laughs> yeah so okay I have played a couple of other wordle inspired ones there's one that's called so my partner really likes this game called worldle with the geography the one for, yeah which I'm nowhere near I haven't even. Uh, tried. I, I like don't even want to open like, it. Like <laughs> I don't. I don't know. That I was like we were talking about it, and she was like, "You would do fine." I was like, "All I know is that Italy is shaped like a boot. Everything else is a mystery." Right. Like I'm not looking to be humiliated in that way uh, on a daily basis. No, I would I like to. Get, I would actually genuinely like to get better at geography, but this I don't think this is the way I want to do it. Worldle isn't the way. A mm-hmm. really fun one I played is called Samantle, mm-hmm. and what it is is there's a secret word. And you you basically you guess a word and okay. you get a rating for the word you guessed based on how similar semantically it is to the secret word. Huh. Okay. And it's a little bit I don't want to try to describe it more because it gets complicated, but basically it'll it rates your your guess as like whether it tells you if you're getting like warmer or colder in terms of like getting mm. close to the secret word. And you have mm. like tons of guesses. I forget how okay. many you have, like a lot. Yeah. It's really fun. It's really hard. And it's it's not really like – it's a totally different idea mm-hmm. than Wordle because y- you do – you have to like kind of think really hard and really deeply. You can't like mm. do it while you're like <laughs> before coffee and listening to a right. podcast, you know, <laughs> which is how I do Wordle. Right. And then another one that any fellow – NBA heads out there might like <laughs> is this one called Purtle, which I guess is the name of a basketball player. And mm. it you guess a player and it tells you if you get it's like it uses the yellow and green system and you'll get the which conference they're in, which division, mm. jersey number, height, and position. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it'll tell you if you're within like two inches of their height um, mm. or if you're close to their position. And then when you're really stuck, you can click on the player's silhouette. Mm. I don't know enough of the players yeah. in the NBA to do it, but it's like a very fun – it's just like a fun takeoff on yeah, the idea. Yeah, cute idea. Yeah. All right. So much like Wordle is a nice little warm-up for doing other things like a crossword, that I think was a great way to warm up for our big segment talking about games. So to start, let's talk a little bit about how people can get better at choosing games, how we've gotten better at choosing games for ourselves. And then from there, we can talk a little bit about getting into games if you're not into games or helping a skeptic get into games if you're looking to get them to play with you. So one of the things that might be obvious to other people but wasn't totally obvious to me, even as somebody who like dabbled in games here and there, is that there really is a big difference, not just in like types of games, but also when you think about types of games, you might be like, well, there's like board games like Monopoly and Clue, and then there's tabletop games like D&D. That is true. But I think even within board games, there's differences in terms of like the gameplay. And I think for me, what has been kind of a light bulb moment is realizing the difference between games that rely on luck and strategy versus games that rely on cleverness or knowing trivia or knowing lots of words. Basically, there are some games where it's like all kind of contained to the game itself. You can get better at this game. And there's other games where you kind of have to bring outside knowledge in or outside skills. Like you have to be witty, you have to be quick. And I think... I I mean, for me, one of the big things is people who don't like games might just not like one of those types of games and might really like the other ends. And I I like both, but I am finding that those games that are a blend of luck and strategy are I'm really clicking with lately. Like it really, it just doesn't feel, I think there's a lot of people who don't like to play games or they're like, I'm not going to play this game with you because you're too good at it. And I think that games that are more like of the luck and strategy are you like start on more equal playing on a more equal playing field. And those can be a lot more fun. Yeah, that's totally true. I was actually just thinking about that, that like sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're like a very competitive person or a not very competitive person at all, it might influence whether or not you want to spend your time playing a strategy game. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, some people maybe feel competitive, but it gets, it, it's like too, then it's like too much to play a strategy game almost. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and also like for me, like, I, I don't I don't think I'm very competitive. Andrea says that I secretly am, but that's a whole mm. other podcast. Um, <laughs> like I really intensely heavy strategy games. I feel like if you don't have some competitiveness in you, I'm just sort of like, well, what are we doing here? I don't know what the mm-hmm. point is of this. Like let's let's just let's just all have fun. What's a game that we can all win? Mm-hmm. So I do think it it is important to think about like yeah, the not just the different kinds of games, but also just like the different version of yourself that you bring depending on the Mm -hmm. kind of game it is. Yeah, I think that's right. I think also competitiveness is a good point. I think in some ways like luck can make – it can take the edge off competitiveness I think because there's only so much you can do. Obviously, people who are really competitive get like very mad when they like don't draw the card they want or whatever. But like it does feel like at the end of the day, it's it's just luck. And so I do think that that kind of dials down competitiveness. And I I personally don't want to play – a game with somebody who's like so competitive that if they don't win, they're going to like ruin the rest of the day. Like that is way too much to me. So I think that like, I like, I like luck games for that reason. They make things mm-hmm. a little, a little more, a little nicer. I agree. And you know, have you ever played Trivial Pursuit with someone who gets really mad because like th- the other team gets a piece of pie when a question was like really easy and all their pie <laughs> questions were really hard. And it's like, no, because I've only played Trivial Pursuit once in my life. And I was like, this 
game like expired 15 years ago Who knows any of these you know like it was just yeah, like an yeah, old yeah. old version so and I was like well that's that was that no thank you yeah but I can I, Im- totally imagine what you mean and, and it's like one of those things where it's like or even people can do it with like clue where they're like well I got a really bad hand to start or whatever and it, it and they get mad because the the luck it doesn't get distributed evenly but it sort mm-hmm. of goes back to what we were saying about wordle where if you don't get it or if it's an annoying word or whatever, you, you have to remember that who cares <laughs> because right. it's just it's just a game and we're not, you know, competing for an Olympic medal or anything. Exactly. Yeah. Completely agree. So another thing that I've found helpful in the past couple years is that I didn't know that Wirecutter had a bunch of guides to different board games. And I found a ton of games I had never heard of there, a lot of games I didn't know about. And even if I didn't find, like, even if I didn't buy those exact games, just reading the reviews taught me about the different kinds of games available. Like I had never heard the phrase engine building game until very recently, which is like where you spend the game sort of setting up a quote unquote engine, like that you then sort of run your strategy through as the the game builds wingspan Mm -hmm. is this way and i just never heard that term before so i didn't like know about this category of games or know how to talk about games this way and so i found that these guides gave like a really helpful basis um and i also found that i just like clicking on the wire cutter games and then following those links and then looking at the like people also bought games was really helpful because there's so many games out there that you probably just never heard of and game like people do like seek out games that are like the other ones that they like whether it's the art style or the gameplay style and so I find that these kinds of like algorithmically driven things can actually be fairly helpful for finding new games but then at the complete other end of the spectrum there are literal game stores where you can go browse in person where you will also probably find a bunch of games you've never heard of and I do think the art I mean Sally this isn't going to come as a shock to you because you like you like are a gamer you understand this differently than I do but for somebody who like hasn't thought about games beyond the basic board games and I don't know, years, it's helpful to be like, oh, there's all these different art styles. Maybe actually that's what I want for my game is just a game that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then because like, a lot of games are similar, but if one makes you feel really happy while you're playing it because the art's so nice or the pieces are so nice, like that is all it takes. That makes a huge difference. Totally. Yeah. Going into game stores these days is like, I have that experience just browsing the shelves of looking at what I'm seeing and being like, wow, you can do that? Like, the, mm-hmm. you know, because games are really beautiful with really beautiful art or they're incredibly high concept and allow you to do cool, intricate things and play cooperatively or play competitively or take a world, a, a fictional world from like your favorite TV show or movie or whatever and have a whole game set in it. it it's really like, I, it, it is true. Like it's a thing that I, do, I forget sometimes that when you're a gamer, like, you know, this is the case, but if you, if you aren't, and like all you've really played are like, sorry, or clue or monopoly, you may not know that you use this phrase once in a previous episode, board games that fuck. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, we're sort of in that territory. Like these are mm-hmm. just they're just like sophisticated, fun games. And they don't, they're not all like super complex and intricate, Mm-mm. but they're, they offer you more than, for example, you know, the game of life or Clue. Two right, great games, sure. by the way. Yes, definitely. Classics for a reason. Mm-hmm. I feel like kind of similar to what you're just saying, like the understanding that there's different board game publishers was also like a mind-blowing moment for me recently. And that's another way to discover games that you might like is looking at a specific publisher or if you like this game, what other games do they make that are that are going to feel similar? Like like any brand, they have certain things that they like or a certain aesthetic and uh, like 
they're going to be uh, like similar games you'll probably like. So even just knowing or within like you could now games have credits on the box. I don't remember that from when I was younger, but it'll say who designed it. And so it's like, oh, you can find the other games that this person has designed. You'll probably like those too. And I feel like that's also a big game changer. So Absolutely. Absolutely. A resource that I really like is the website Shut Up and Sit Down, which has tons of reviews, like in-depth reviews of various games. And then there is also, they have this thing called the Game Picker. Uh, mm. We'll link to it in the show notes. And basically it has four questions, one around rules, one around number of players, then style, and then focus. And then it'll give you a bunch of options for games to play. So you can say, I want a game with the less rules, the better, or you can choose, mm. I like big, involved, complicated games, number of players. You can choose cooperative, competitive, but friendly, competitive and unfriendly. And then a focus <laughs> like strategy or the story a game tells or playing with my friends and get some good options. And I think those are all really good. I think like the name, it's like a numbers game. It's like just learn about a bunch of games, mm-hmm. <laughs> see what they're all like, get a sense of the landscape. And if one, you know, appeals to you, I think these reviews go a long way in telling you like what the what it's like to play the game. Another resource that I love is called Geek and Sundry Game the Game. It's a series where you just watch people play a game mm. and and they start every video with someone explaining briefly how the game works and what mm-hmm. you're supposed to do. Just like a kind of a basic over, overview and then they play it as though they're you can learn the game by watching them play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I find really helpful because especially with some of these games that fuck, it is hard to understand how to put into practice what the rules say. They they mm-hmm. seem sort of abstract. And especially I think if you're new to gaming, it doesn't once you've played a few games you're like okay i see what i know what they mean by turn or whatever yeah 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 so game the game is a is a really great series and i've found some 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 good games that way and i've also eliminated games that way like i've watched people play and been like oh i that's not for me <laughs> so we should talk a little bit about how to get people into games or you know if if you're the game skeptic or really if you are trying if you you know live with a game skeptic and you're trying to get them into games sally what are your tips on how to how to get somebody on board with a game okay yeah so one tip is like the biggest one is tailor the kind of game to the things they like and definitely avoid the things they hate. So in the same way as you wouldn't be like, I love movies, let's watch a movie and not ask the person what kind of genres they like, what kind of genres they hate. And you just like choose a horror movie and it turns out they hate horror movies. Like that person is not going to get into the hobby of watching movies with you probably. But if you if you're if you say like I I like I like movies let's watch a movie what are you into um and they say well I don't really like movies with subtitles because it's hard to follow and I don't really like long movies and I don't like horror then you've like you have a pretty good sense of of the the options that might appeal to them so I think like that's the first thing is kind of like know your audience and just don't choose like I I've tried to get my partner into games before and I've made the mistake of choosing things that are just like thematically she has no interest in or have Mm -hmm. the kinds of rules that she isn't interested in learning and that's not on her that's on me for trying to you know put a square peg into a round hole (laughs) and I think the other thing especially with big games that have complicated rules and that go beyond just like roll some dice, move your piece and pick up a card. I think that it 
can sometimes be better to be like, hey, I want to show you this cool thing I'm really into. Mm -hmm. And like kind of instead of saying like, let's sit down and play a game, because the first time you sit down to play a game that you don't know how to play, you're not really sitting down to play a game. You're sitting down to learn a game. And that's yeah. a, that's a totally different thing. And so I kind of think framing it as like, I want to show you and teach you this thing. It's like a small perspective shift, but I think it's helpful. And then related to that is making it a group activity to learn a game together. I We had a really fun hang with a couple of friends where they brought over the, this Game of Thrones board game that they had like never really figured out how to play. And we mm-hmm. made a decision that we were going to figure it out together. So that's mm. different than, you know, sitting down with the expectation of playing a game and then not getting to play it. Like we fully were like, let's learn this together. And it Mm -hmm. was the most complicated. It was more complicated than the Game of Thrones itself. And we (laughs) could not figure it out. And we spent Mm -hmm. like probably three hours trying to play and joking around and we were drinking and we eventually gave up, but it was, it was really fun. It was a really fun thing. And I think it would have also been fun if we had figured out how to play and continued playing. But I think the reason it was fun was because we decided in advance that we were going to like clear the big table, lay out the game with like all of its stuff and just have fun trying to figure out this like this huge involved intricate game. So that's like Mm -hmm. another perspective shift that I think like kind of sets you up for success. I think that's totally right. I think the idea, the difference between like learning to play a game versus playing a game is a pretty meaningful one because I think kind of related, I think if you're teaching somebody a game, like you can't play the game, like don't expect, like if you play the game because you know how to play it while they're learning, you're going to win and they're going to be annoyed. Like that's not fun. It's not fun to play as a beginner with somebody who's playing like full steam ahead. So I don't know that you need to like throw the game, but like don't play on your version of, you know, showing off mode. Like that's not, that's not really fair. It's not really fun. It's not like, I don't know, to me, it's not really in good faith. Like go slow, explain what you're doing. Um, One time we were playing Euchre with, we like Caroline and Dan love Euchre and there's like a way to play it remotely. Then they wanted to teach us and we did it. And the first times we did it, it was like, we're all going to show each other our cards and we're going to talk about it. Like mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to tell you which decision you should make next. And that was like a really nice way to learn yeah, because it great. was so low stakes and it it did make it a more of a, like a community, a communal hang. And I think kind of related to what you were also saying, it's like set aside the time for it. And, and we're framing it as the time to learn, not the time to play. Cause I think that there, if somebody's trying to teach you a game, whether it's at a party or wherever, and you're just like, I just like, can't, I can't I, – I, I'm going to share these tweets because there's a couple of tweets that I feel like are relevant here. But it's like <laughs> yeah. I physically cannot listen to you explain these rules right now. And I like don't want to and I'm mad at you for trying to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like no one – it's not fun for anyone. So like make sure that you've decided in advance this person wants to play this game or this person's willing to learn this game. We're going to – I'm going to teach them in this specific scenario and that's what we're doing and they're fully on board with it. And and like that might just be by saying like first you tell them about the game and roughly how it's played so that like you're not just throwing them in there but kind of giving them a chance to say like, yeah, that actually sounds fun or I think I would like that or or not. But I think just throwing people into a game and being like, it's fun, I swear, is not mm-hmm. going to usually yeah. go over well, especially if they're a bit of a game skeptic. No, I totally agree. And I think that also – I've learned the hard way that unless you and the person or people you're playing with love to learn things together, I would recommend not trying to teach someone a game unless you yourself know how to play it. Mm-hmm. I've made this mistake before. There's a really good video from Shut Up and Sit Down that's called How to Teach Board Games Like a Pro, and mm-hmm. it's like 15 minutes, and it is – it 
explains to you how to explain board games to people in a way that mm. they'll be able to follow and get into and understand. And that plus knowing how – one of the things that they say is make sure that you really know how to play the game in a deep way before you try mm-hmm. to teach people because, you know, if you uh, – it's so – there's nothing more like demoralizing as someone who struggles to understand complex instructions when the person who's teaching me the complex instructions like doesn't really understand them themselves. It makes Mm -hmm. me like kind of lose faith in the process. Yeah, I think that's right. I think related, I had never really had – it had never really occurred to me that like you can watch a YouTube video to learn how to play a board game or like that those answers to questions exist on the internet. And like that's also a really helpful resource whether you're trying to learn a game yourself or teach it to somebody else like – or you're trying to learn together, but just like use YouTube, watch people. I've, I've started doing that with new games because I am getting these more complicated games and I'm just like, oh man, this is a revelation. This changes everything. And so I think that is super helpful. Also, I have to, again, give credit to Wingspan. I don't know if other games do this, but Wingspan has a little kit in the box that's like, if you're trying to teach somebody to play Wingspan, use everything in this bag. Wow. These cards tell them to like, they like take this move on your first turn, take this move on your second turn. And I'm like, this is so smart. Like, I love that idea so much. Again, I don't know if other games do it. If not, they should. If they, you know, if this is the industry standard by now, that's amazing. But I, I was just like, this is so clever. And I think like thinking about that, if you're teaching somebody a game, is there a way you can like, you can give them a little bit more can you just deal them the pieces that'll make it easy for them? Or like, how can you make it a little easier if they would be more on board if they had a little leg up like that? Yeah, that's so awesome. I hope that becomes more standard if it's not already. I agree. One other thing is if you live in a place with a game cafe, we have a couple here in Philly and basically you go and you pick out you can either pick out a game and play it, or you can say to the game tender, you know, there are two of us. We <laughs> we hate games that have this, this, and this. We love games that are like this, nothing too complicated, whatever. And they'll go select a bunch of games for you and bring them over. They're like a sommelier, but of games. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. they also teach you how to play. Oh, cool. Which is awesome. So, uh, and I know like uh, not all game cafes are like that, but they tend to be a really good resource, even if they don't have as extensive of a sommelier service as the kind of thing I'm describing. In general, they'll be able to make good recommendations and point you towards different things. And, you know, you can go to them and say like, you know, can you recommend me a game that's something that's just like this or nothing like that? And they'll always have like a billion recommendations for you. That's amazing. This is kind of like a deep cut. So I wouldn't be surprised if most people don't want to do this. But one thing that I realized when I got Wingspan for my Switch is that it clarified a lot of questions I had about the rules and made it like like there were things we were doing wrong even when we thought we had fully figured it out and we didn't know it until we played this version of the game because it like makes those decisions for you and like mm. it, it like when 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 you're allowed to re-roll the dice in the bird feeder for example is like they tell you and we had oh. been doing it in between every round and you don't actually do that and like the the Switch version is like $13 and a lot of games are not like the $60 Animal Crossing game. So that's another option if you're having trouble mm. with a game or you want to learn it or you don't have anyone to play with you or something to that effect. Like that is also an option that can be available if there's a digital version of a game. You might be able to sort of get better at it or practice or whatever the case may be by using the digital version. That's a really good idea. Yeah, there's a lot of Switch in particular, um, maybe other platforms as well, but Switch has a lot of digital versions of, of really good games. 
Okay. Well, obviously we have a lot more to say about games, so we're going to save that for our next episode, and we're going to wrap things up here with a nice thing to end on. So, Sally, what is your nice thing to end on? My nice thing is that our two cats, for anyone who's been tuning in to the long national nightmare of whether or not my two cats can be integrated or if they have to be separated forever, they can be integrated now. Miles is fully vaccinated against feline leukemia. Sadly, Manny is now like kind of almost an adult. I mean, we're very happy that he's like yeah. doing well, but the whole idea about uh the whole like the whole idea behind getting another cat was that it, Miles was going to take it real easy and smooth because <laughs> it was going to be a new kitten who was tiny and non-threatening. Uh but mm. Manny ceased being tiny and non-threatening and is now a big like hyperactive needy little brother who um <laughs> is in like constant need of Miles's attention. So mm. the good news is we are slowly but surely getting them integrated, which means that we can just do, we can live our lives a lot more kind of normally in our house. So we're really excited. Please send your thoughts and prayers our way um, and <laughs> thoughts and prayers for, for Miles, who we hope that he remains intact emotionally and psychologically throughout this. <laughs> He's being a really grumpy, He's He's less of a big brother and more of like a grumpy uncle kind of mm-hmm, with like a rambunctious mm-hmm. nephew and he yeah. just wants to be – Miles likes to sit and just like s- sit at the window all day and Manny just hassles him constantly and Andrea said it's like – Miles is like, I'm watching my stories. Leave me alone. And that's that's, <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. But it is a nice thing to end on that they can be integrated and we're both very excited for the end result, which is – We hope that they live together in harmony and hopefully one day we walk in and they're cuddling and being really cute. And then I take a picture and post it on Instagram and circle of life. Rachel. That is the dream. (laughs) What's your nice thing to end on? My nice thing to end on is another podcast actually. So the podcast is called Decoder Ring and it comes out of Slate and it's a culture podcast. It comes out just once a month, which I think results in a really good product. When you listen, I think you can kind of see where the time goes. And the best way I think my girlfriend described it is a cross of You're Wrong About and This American Life. So Mm. it's like, it's not debunkers exactly, but it's like, we're going to do a deep dive on a cultural question. We're going to try to answer it. We're going to investigate it. We're going to see how it happened this way. And it's so well edited. It's so well produced. Every single episode I've listened to, we listened to it a bunch while we were in the Catskills. And just we saved so many more because every single one sounds interesting and everyone we've listened to delivers. And there are times when they started out and it's like, oh, like, I don't, you know, I hope they talk about this thing or what about this? And they always get to that and like present it in a really interesting way. I think the host is really good. Again, it's a really good blend of like, it's definitely produced, but it doesn't feel so scripted that it's like, like, I don't know, that level of production. Like the interviews are really, you know, off the cuff and I just think it's great. So um, we listened to one about truck nuts, those like balls that people put on their bumpers, which I think is is a was great. It's a good one to start with. There's also one about gender reveals, which includes an interview with the woman who came up with the idea of gender reveals and is great. It just those are really good. We listened to one last night about selling out and the kind of the whole idea of selling out that also touches on Jonathan Franz and an Oprah that was really good. Just again, every single one has been fantastic. And I'm just like so excited to listen to more. So that's my nice thing to end on slash recommendation. This is such a good recommendation. I've listened, I have listened to the gender reveal one and I listened to the one that they did 
I think it's when the first episode or when the podcast first came out about laugh tracks on sitcoms. I haven't listened to that one, but that one sounds good. But the I haven't listened to other ones, but they all look so good. Like there's one on hotel art, which is something I've always been curious about. Rubber Ducky. Yeah, I have that one saved. There's one of um about friend of Simpson mania friend of Dorothy and like why that phrase like why gay men love Judy Garland, which was really lovely. Um, it's so good. It's so worth a listen. These I'm gonna totally get involved with this right away. These all look so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll really like it. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oh, I Like That. Please rate us and review us. You can also follow us on Twitter at Oh, I Like That Pod or email us at Oh, I Like That Pod at gmail.com. You can also follow the two of us. I'm the underscore R-E-W-M and Sally is at Sally T. Oh, I Like That is produced by Rachel and Sally and edited by Lucas. Amber Seeger, who is Rocket Orca on social media, designed our logo.